0: Hey guys, what's going on? I'm Bud Elliott and this is the Knollcast and uh, I am doing a solo episode tonight. Uh, why? Because we put off yesterday's episode and then Ingram's AC broke again for the second day in a row. So he is in a really good mood. Uh, if you guys have any uh, you know, home ownership stories, Ingram's got one uh, for sure. <laughs> Early this week, I actually got a water heater issue on my house. It's not preventing me from podcasting Throw, you know, I, you know, you fight through it, and you're okay. Anyway, uh, so what we're going to do, we're actually going to do two shows this week. We're going to do a little recruiting focus show, probably Thursday-ish, I would think. Uh, but tonight, I just want to talk a, a little bit about stuff that I learned at ACC Media Day. Uh, and let's just go ahead and start there. show, as always, off, off the jump, brought to you. Louisiana Hot Sauce and Tarpon Cellars. Tarpon Cellars, awesome place to go visit, get some wine as well. And I'm probably going to take my wife out there for a little trip. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Uh, All right, so let's go ahead and and, and start off here. Jim Phillips, ACC Commissioner. I'm there on behalf of 24-7 Sports. I'm meeting with some of our team site people, and it was great to see all them. Got to see, you know, Sunone and, and Nee from Knowles 24-7 and uh, really excited about all the additions they're making to the on the bench uh you know podcast network that they got going on there um so Phillips I thought would probably try to filibuster for quite a long time maybe a filibuster okay that's that's lame uh but he only had about an hour to speak and I thought that he would probably try to run out the clock and indeed he did not even mention football for a sustained period until about 20 minutes into the speech. Uh, and then even then he, he talked for over 30 minutes, which did kill a lot of opportunity, uh, to ask him questions. Now, there are some things I want to point out here because he, he will rightfully be blasted for some of the, uh, Pollyanna's ideas that he had and some of his, um, analogies that were really just either not good, or maybe they sounded better when he, when he had them at home. And, Look, I'm, I've had that happen before. You, you kind of workshop something maybe in the shower. Hey, I'm going to say this today, I'm going to say that. And uh, you get on the air and, and the delivery is poor or it just doesn't make quite as much sense when you say it uh, when you're on camera. Anyway, so uh, a couple things Philip said. Like he said, hey, I'm very confident that if the ACC, if Notre Dame joins a conference, it will be the ACC. I kind of put that in the bucket of things that he has to say. Currently, that is what the contract says. If, if Notre Dame wants to join a conference, it has to, do, to join the ACC unless it's going to pay the buyout for the grant of rights for the other sports, which is essentially like getting basketball and baseball out and then the other sports that don't make any money. That to me is not that big of a, of a hindrance, though, for Notre Dame to leave. I, I don't think Notre Dame is going to join a conference, but if I do, I think common sense within the industry actually says Phillips is wrong here and that it would likely be the Big Ten. The SEC, as we talked two episodes ago now, has all the incentive in the world with playoff proposals to help Notre Dame remain an independent because it realizes that, that the Irish will not join the SEC. And so if it can keep a path to the playoff, which access is really what the Irish want, they make plenty of money, they're they're probably going to get $75 million, uh, a year standalone as an independent from wh- whomever signs them, be it NBC or CBS or you know, whomever. Um, But I don't think Phillips can can acknowledge that right now. He has to say, yeah, we're contractually, we're partners with them. And if they join anywhere, that was in part of our deal with them in 2020 when they came into the league. So anyway, uh, 2020 being the COVID year, they're able to play a a full season of games in that season. Uh, He also is going to talk about some championships, the league wins, and even though they're not really in football and Uh, he really will talk about a lot of the things that that the league is doing well. Now, the problem is he also said, except for the revenue part. And again, I think he is somewhat hamstrung on what the ACC can do on revenue. You only have about five schools in this league that are driving revenue, and you have about nine uh, that are not. Now, of those five, only a couple are even performing on the field. Like Florida State gets ratings, but it's not actually performing on the field. Miami – Kind of the same, right? Uh, North Carolina obviously on the hoop side performing very well on the bat, on the football side, somewhat so on on balance that you know, decent Clemson is decent rating and, and they perform extremely well. I don't know really what we expected him to say, uh, because he was so limited in what he could say, but I think in some instances it depends on who you think he's trying to send a message to, right? Uh, if he's trying to send a message to the fans, I think the speech failed. If he's trying to send a message to the schools, well, a press conference at media day is not really the time to do that. You have private meetings with these schools all the time. Uh, he really was able to dodge some questions, and then he also he, he spoke about how he felt everything was on the table, and he used that quote a lot. And I'm going to focus on that quote a little bit more because he also used the whole how he thought gated neighborhoods if they were exclusionary, which I think Gates in general probably are, uh, are bad for college football, uh, but yet FSU, he said, was in, or excuse me, the ACC was was in a pretty good gated neighborhood itself, which he's right and wrong. He's in a tough spot here because unlike the Big 12 and the Pac-12, he actually has a lot of properties in his league, or at least more than the Big 12 and the Pac-12 combined, that the Big 10 or the SEC might actually want to take. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, that's not something that's going to be happening to Big 12 or most likely Pac-12 teams, maybe Washington. So he he's playing defense while still trying to play offense, which is sort of tough. The, the Big 12 can be out there just playing defense totally. The Pac-12 is not going to steal anybody from the Big 12 for a lot of reasons, academics, religion, etc. Et uh, whereas the Pac-12, for the most part, is playing just defense uh, as well. Anyway, um, but I thought the gated neighborhood thing that he kept relying on was a bit, it just didn't really fit what he was trying to say. I, I understood it, but he didn't need to keep trying to hammer that point home. He was also extremely focused on a couple other things that I think, if you're a fan back home, should bother you a little bit, but aren't really that meaningful in the long term. Number one, he kept trying to talk about the overall health of the sport, and That's not something that you hear Greg Sankey talk about a whole lot for the SEC. I'm not really sure that he cares. Maybe he does. I think he probably should care because you don't want to have the sport collapse totally. That college football is not viable long term if it's only 40 teams or you know 40 or whatever teams. I'm not really sure if, if Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren is going to talk about the whole viability of the sport. But Jim Phillips did quite a bit. He talked about how like, this is not good for the whole sport, this whole having only two Super League-type concept, basically, in so many words. But if you are a fan of Florida State or Clemson or North Carolina, you don't really love hearing that because you you think, and I think rightfully so, that Phillips should be focused on only the ACC member schools and doing what is best for them and – screw the AAC and the Big 12 and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if that's the right tact for the ACC commissioner to take, given that he, you know, there is some sort of safety and numbers thing here in theory. And I don't know if the ACC is good enough on its own to be like, yeah, screw those other guys, right? Maybe they are, I kind of doubt it. Um, so that was one thing that that sort of, sort of interested me. The other thing was that he talked about finding new revenue streams. But he really didn't have any, he wasn't able to offer anything. And and maybe that's just, you know, biz dev, right? And you can't talk about it at this point. However, it did make me a little bit concerned that maybe he doesn't have anything. I'm, I kind of disagree on that. I think they probably do. But again, devil's advocate here. But going back to the whole everything is on the table thing, he was directly asked about unequal revenue sharing. And he said, everything is on the table. And he was asked, how would you divvy up this unequal revenue sharing? Would it be performance or would it be ratings? And I think it should be ratings because it's a TV product that, that you're getting paid for. Increasingly, you know, the the ticket sales and stuff pale in comparison to what you're making on TV. And even when Wake Forest is good, it doesn't do ratings. It, it's bad for the ACC if Wake Forest makes, makes the ACC championship game. Florida State, for screwing around for as many years as they have, has hurt the league quite a bit because the ACC needs them to be in the title game, Miami, obviously, to a, to an even greater extent. So he also said everything's on the table for that. Joe Giglio of uh, of, of one of the radio stations in, in North Carolina, which I was on, I forgot which what they're called. Sorry, Joe. He even asked, like, do you think this league will stay together for the duration of the contract? And Phillips said everything is on the table but he also pointed to the fact that oklahoma and texas are not breaking their deal early despite the fact they would only have to pay two or three years of penalty and and uh usc and ucla the same which okay i get that but also uh texas and oklahoma are not in a spot of potential financial ruin if they last two more years in the big 12 whereas i think you can present a picture where it is possible uh, that if you had to stay 14 years in an ACC that doesn't actually make any revenue improvements, that if you're a Clemson or an FSU or Miami, that you're just totally screwed 20 years from now. Now again, I don't think any, I don't think any of that is actually going to happen. You guys know that I think there are certain schools brand name wise that are probably too big to fail, and that they're not trying to be so exclusionary that they invite antitrust and, and all these other type issues into the picture. So. I'm not, again, I'm not really that worried about where FSU is. I am curious to see if they do do some unequal revenue sharing and whether that is something that is going to be a short-term thing uh, or short-term fix or, or something they really believe that the league can uh, can make work. It did not work in the Big 12, right? And in the Pac-12, USC used to have unequal revenue sharing, but then when they signed their new deal, uh, that went away. And I think USC was pretty salty. About that, but then again, USC also wandered in the wilderness for uh, for a little bit longer than FSU has as far as on-field performance. So, all right, recapping. Obviously, there's some stuff Phillips can't say. He's just trying to run out the clock, so he doesn't have to like answer a bunch of embarrassing questions right now. I wouldn't be that worried about what he says. He should be a little bit better at public speaking as far as emphasizing that football is the number one. That video they played at the start again, like every year, has a bunch of like the cross and a bunch of other sports that they don't, people don't actually care about or watch in large enough numbers to make a difference. Got to add that caveat uh, on there because certainly some people do care about the cross and soccer and all these other sports that lose money. They lose money because not enough people care about them, not even close to enough. So, um, a couple other things here from ACC before I go to like team specific stuff they are going with a new show apparently ACC whatever ACC PM I think it was called but it's going to be more football focused which is great I got to tell you like I watch some of these channels for my job I have it on on in the background I've got a well I've got a four monitor set up and then I've got my laptop here and I got the iPad and then over there I have the the TV that I can you know kind of have it all set up and I'll have it on in the background sometimes and Guys, to be honest, like the ACC, and I like West Durham. They just didn't talk enough football for me. It just, I don't know what, what they were doing with the network. I really didn't love. They would have, and I'm sure there's probably some of this on SEC. I really don't watch much SEC network unless it's like I watch. I watch the show with Spencer and Richard. If I know like Cole Kubrick and those guys are going to be on there, I'll watch. But. I'm not trying to watch watch a bunch of just narrative-based, non-analysis stuff. For my job, I, I, I like the analysis. that that That's what helps me. I really don't care, like, who overcame adversity, and that sounds really cold, and I just – I don't like those kind of pieces. When Rinaldi comes on, I click it because I'm, I'm just – I'm in an information hunt game. That's what I do for work. Maybe people watching ACC Network disagree and liked other things, but my guess is because they pulled the plug on that show and they're doing other, other things now, maybe – Maybe they didn't. Maybe they want more just hardcore football. All right. So some other stuff from ACC media day. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go through my all ACC team ballot. I think I'm allowed, allowed to do this, right? I I don't know. Probably. What are they going to do? Not give me a ballot next year. I've been going to this thing for like 12 years. So I kind of doubt it. Although I do wish they had the, uh, the coaches media golf tournament. That was, uh, that was cool back in the day. And now they, they don't do that because well, it's just too corporate, but, uh, the ACC, I will say, is much better. It's like very laid back. You can get coaches. The SEC, because of all the nuts there, it's just it's on such a regimented schedule. You don't get like 30 seconds more than you're allotted with whomever you have. Uh, just a, an interesting juxtaposition. All right, so I'm going to go through my votes here on the all-ACC team, and then I'm going to kind of briefly discuss if I had any FSU players close for any of these spots. So uh, Devin Leary, quarterback for NC State, was my pick for the quarterback spot. I think there's probably four guys you can pick for that. I think Devin Leary is the best one of those. Not completely sold on Tyler Van Dyke. Hartman's pretty good, but he's a little more of a system guy. We'll see what Armstrong does at Virginia this year. They lost just so much up front. So that's problematic. But you FSU does play Devin Leary. I, I have Jordan Travis probably seventh or eighth this year in the league in, at, at quarterback, so he's not really close to being a a first team all ACC guy, but at the same time, this is a very loaded year uh, for qu- the quarterback position in the ACC. Uh, running back, Sean Tucker and Will Shipley, again, Syracuse and Clemson, respectively. I, I thought that was fairly obvious. I- I'd be surprised if-, if a whole lot of other guys uh, got votes there. I don't know who you would even pick from FSU. I mean, I, I guess Ward, but Benson, I think, has a chance to potentially have a big year, but he, that would be way too speculative for me to give him a vote for the all-ACC team in the preseason. Receiver was actually very tough. This is a It's a solid year at receiver in the conference. Now, you do lose Jordan Addison. You lose a couple of important guys to the draft, but uh, Zay Flowers, I think, is a d- really dynamic kid at Boston College. He actually told me at ACC Media Day that he turned down $600,000 uh, to go somewhere else and return to B.C., Josh Downs is a high-volume and high-efficiency guy at North Carolina who's a a total stud. And then the third one was tough. There's a lot of different guys you can go. Some of the Virginia guys make a lot of sense, but I I thought A.T. Perry of Wake Forest was strong last year. He's a good red zone target, big guy, runs well. I I like him. Uh, Obviously, I I do think that there is some alternate reality in in which Winston Wright stayed healthy and maybe could make a postseason all-ACC team, but. With him getting in the car crash, that, that, that just seems not likely at all. Uh, and obviously, I'm not going to vote Pittman or Wilson to the all-ACC team in the preseason. That does not That's not disqualifying uh, for them to make it in the postseason, but they just haven't done anything at all that would warrant a vote on, on it. Really, certainly not the first team. Uh, we'll, we'll see how deep this thing goes. We only voted for the first team this year. Uh, Will Mallory at tight end for Miami made the most sense to me. Uh, Given that he is targeted quite a bit, but this is not a real strong tight end year, and yet I still think there was nobody for me to vote for there at uh, at tight end for FSU. I, I can't put Cam McDonald. I don't think he's a top half tight end in the league. I'm certainly not going to put like a Wyatt Rector or somebody like that in. And uh, the other scholarship guys on this roster are a little bit further away from being ready to contribute than I think FSU fans would like. That's that's probably. Probably pretty disappointed to them. Uh, offensive tackle, I actually had some problems with here. So I, I think Jordan McFadden from Clemson makes the most sense. And I, I got to say, like, I don't know that this is a very good tackle year in the ACC. I went with Zion Nelson of Miami. Um, he's a guy who gets a lot of draft buzz, but he got a lot of draft buzz last year and didn't come out. Generally, if you don't come out, that probably means you're actually not that great. We'll see if he ends up being that great and ends up being a first rounder. But I don't think the tackle position is very deep this year in the league uh, overall. Offensive guard, though, I, I thought was uh, not easy. C- Caleb Chandler of Louisville, I think, is pretty easy. I went with DJ Scaife of Miami. I think that, that makes some sense. Christian Mahogany was the guy who would absolutely be the pick here for Boston College, uh, but he tore his ACL, I believe, uh, a couple months ago playing basketball, and will miss the season. So that does make it a little bit thinner at guard. Look, guys, obviously I'm not going to vote for any of FSU's tackles to be on the all-ACC team. We're just hoping they can be okay. If Amarius Mims came, I, I probably would have considered him uh, possibly, but that didn't happen. Offensive guard, I you could possibly think Gibbons, but uh, I, I don't think he's on the level of a Chandler at this point. Maybe if he's able to take another step and then the center position, Grant Gibson of NC State, is another guy who I think was pretty obvious. So, yeah, not a whole lot of firepower for FSU on offense this year as far as first team ACC guys. And yet I, I do project this offense to be uh, noticeably better than I had it last year for FSU. I, I think they should be better on the offensive line. I have a little bit more fear there than, than my other colleagues do, apparently, just and it's not like hey what if this injury happens or what if that injury happens it's to me it's not that it's what if these guys don't heal from injuries that we already know they have or have had like what if Lyles actually just can't move cuz he's been injured too much what if what if another lost offseason for Washington coming off injuries means that he's not not better like not only not better what what if he regresses right so th- those are some things i would have concerns with Uh, Before we get to defense, I do want to thank the legendary team. Chad and Shannon do such a tremendous job. They're getting you your home loan, 400-plus loans through the NoelCast program. Give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's knowledge of the industry, customer service, great rates relative to the market. It's really all you can ask for. And, you know, elsewhere in the country, people may not be buying, but in Florida, it's, it's still going fast. And if you want a house, you probably need a loan, unless you've got a lot of cash. So, if so, congrats. We have a Patreon. If not, hit up the legendary team, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. All right. Defensive line. This is a spot that I think in the preseason, FSU will not get a whole lot of love. And I'm not really arguing that it should, but I think that in the postseason, it is possible that FSU gets some love probably in that second and third team level. Uh, So, Miles Murphy and Baldonado from Clemson and Pitt, respectively, I thought were fairly easy choices. There's a couple other guys you would pick, I think, before you get to an FSU guy. Now, Jared Verse maybe could just explode on the scene, be a little more polished than he was in spring and dominate. That's certainly possible. Uh, Maybe Dennis Briggs has an awesome season and and cracks this, but those two guys are are really damn good. Uh, The other two here, defensive tackle, Brian Brzee and Kalaja Cansey to me, were were fairly obvious picks as well. Now, look, Tyler Davis could take Cancy's spot on this list, and, and maybe it's an all-Clemson defensive tackle spot. Here's this thing. Like, I like Coop is not a good enough pass rusher to end up on the first team all-ACC. You have to be able to rush the passer from these spots now unless you're just truly like, like a Jordan Davis for Georgia. And even he was able to rush the passer last year. Uh, Fabian Lovett. I could see if, if he has a big year, maybe he could be second team all ACC, possibly. Uh, the other guy I left off this was Corey Durden, who I thought had a real, real good shot at it. Obviously, Corey was a you know pretty talented player at FSU and, and has really found himself at NC State as well. Linebacker this year is is actually pretty loaded. I tried to spread the love around here a little bit, and I, I left both the NC State kids off, which uh, I'll probably get a lot of flack on on Twitter for. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard various opinions on just how good those guys are. I went with Trenton Sampson of Clemson, uh, Servassier Dennis of Pitt, and then I, I like Yasir Abdullah quite a bit at Louisville. I think they, they do a lot of things with him, and he's very athletic. Where would FSU's guys fit on this? If I had to, I would vote Deloach and Bethune as third team in the ACC. I don't think that they're as good as the NC State guys right now. Could be wrong. And I definitely don't think they're as good as the three that I put on the first team. So bottom of the second team, top of the third team, possibly it's, you know, it is what it is Uh, at corner. And by the way, I I think the ACC is kind of crazy that we vote for three linebackers and only two corners. Like what, why are we doing this still? This is, this is kind of nuts. Give us three down linemen, an edge guy, two off ball backers, three corners, or just five DBs total, but whatever. Anyway, um, Keitrell Clark from Louisville is an easy pick for me. Once he's back healthy, he's a total stud. And Garrett Williams of Syracuse is also a pretty good and, and productive guy. So those two made some sense. And yet this is a spot where I could see Omarion Cooper come on, and like, if he's really, really good, he's a guy who could be maybe second team all ACC. Uh, I could also maybe see a Kevin Knowles getting some love. Maybe he gets on the third team ACC at the end of the season. Now, at safety here, this is the first time that I voted an FSU player onto the first team. Uh, I have Jamie Robinson as a fairly easy pick. Now, I said the thing I said about Zion Nelson as far as coming back means you probably aren't that great. Maybe you don't get that great of a draft grade. And I think that's fair, right? If Jamie Robinson was a no-doubt Top 100 type pick, he would have gone, I think. But he had some things to work on in this game. The staff is extremely pleased with him. They're able to get him back. Some nil, I'm sure, helped with that a little bit. And I do think that he has a chance to be a first team, all ACC safety. Uh, I think for the other pick, it's it's kind of up in the air. I went with Makuba from Clemson, but there's a couple other dudes you could pick. Probably, I mean, here's a guy. What I wouldn't put Greg Dent first team or. Greg Dent, gosh. I would not put Akeem Dent first team this year to start the year because he has never stayed healthy and is not really proven. But, uh, guys, I know some SEC teams wanted him pretty bad, right, in the offseason. And I know FSU kept him, and they fought to keep him. That says something right there. Um, You, you keep Akeem Dent, you want a bad – he probably would have started elsewhere in what people think is the best conference in the country. That says something like maybe he could be second team. Maybe he could be third team. If he has a nice year, I did think about putting FSU's punter, but Lou Headley's still at Miami. So you, that's kind of a no brainer. Clemson's kicker, BT Potter is a stud. So he goes there. I was really torn about specialists. I I really didn't know who to pick. Um, Preseason player of the year, I went with Josh Downs of North Carolina. I think he could be a 100-catch guy, have a really, really nice season. Also, for the all-purpose back, I took Keeton Thompson, a receiver at Virginia, who they use out of the backfield a whole lot. Um, I don't know. This is a this is a interesting year for me. I'm not going to go over my division order of finish. I'll reveal that on a later episode. But I thought that was something to, uh, I don't know, maybe you guys would enjoy the rundown of that. Um, ACC teams, people like, and those they don't. Okay. Most people seem to agree with me that Pitt could win the Coastal because they just bring back so much good experience on the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, However, it is notable that Pat Narduzzi made all those comments about how they're going to run the ball a lot more. Running the ball is not as efficient as passing the ball. We know this, especially in college football. It's just – it's not – It's not good business. I do have some concerns that Pat Narduzzi just must champs this thing. If I can use, can I use "must champ" as a verb? I I I floated a little trial balloon on doing so on Twitter, and people seemed to to understand what I meant. And what I mean is basically playing offense only to serve your defense. Like the goal of the offense is to create field position for the defense and to not throw interceptions, as opposed to. Scoring points, because Narduzzi's out there complaining that they didn't run the ball enough last year. It's like, oh, my God. You had the best offense in the history of the school, dude. How how about you? Come on. like, What what are we doing? Just because you didn't win with your defense as much? But I digress. Uh, Teams that I think could have disappointing seasons that people agree with me with, Virginia, which I've already bet the under. If you you get the Bud Elliott, CFB at Gmail com little email blast um yeah i already bet the under on that and uh wake so with me wake is tricky because you do have to add in some guys who missed time last year it's just a thing they lost javante nash they lost donovan green both in the preseason that's a starting left tackle and that's a starting receiver for them both went down with offseason injuries however they were also very fortunate last year as far as bounces and whatnot and yet similarly they were also had poor injury luck on defense. So I don't know, how, how do you break this down? But their over-under win total is 8.5, I think. And most people that I talk to, we kind of sit around after a couple of beers or on the one night, maybe more than a couple. By the way, uh, shout out to Colin Wilson of the Action Network. Uh, he and I teamed up in Beer Pong. And uh, thank you, Florida State, for the undergrad education. We ran it six games in a row you know winner take and uh, of course betting on it because he wants to bet so a lot of those college kids were uh they were not playing so well and uh let me know in the comments do you guys play that if the same guy makes it three turns in a row then he gets a bonus turn cuz i mean humble brag here but they they threw it back to me I was like no i, I we didn't both make the shot like it was just made like no no it's a, it's a bonus cuz you're on, you're on a streak so I mean, I'm I'm fairly old now. I don't really remember us playing it that way in college. And I really don't think I was actually any good at beer pong in college relative to you know FSU level competition. But uh, anyway, that was fun little throwback. So people sit around after a couple of beers, like, like who who could collapse? Who could really fail to meet the expectations? And the consensus was wake. They just don't think that defense has much talent on it. Teams in the league have seen the offense more. Now, granted, it's Sam Hartman, a bunch of really good receivers, and a pretty experienced offensive line running a funky system that people have not seemed to adjust to yet. So unless you have Clemson's defensive line, it does seem to give people a lot of trouble. But yeah, Wake was the answer from the Atlantic division and Virginia from the Coastal. I'm down on Syracuse this year because they lost every defensive lineman who played 250 snaps for them last year. They have a bunch of potential injury concerns on the offensive line. I'm not really a believer that their quarterback's a good thrower of the football, and they're trying to throw the ball more this year, bringing in that Virginia system. Other than that, it sounds great, right? They do have a very nice back seven, linebacking core, and uh, corner core are tremendous. By the way, Michael Jones is another guy that I could have put on that all ACC team. So, Mike, at, at linebacker. But other people who I trust within the league are who are pretty smart. Don't agree with me. They think Syracuse actually will be pretty good, which is interesting because I'm personally counting that as a win for FSU. I think other FSU fans are counting that as a win for the Knowles. Uh, and uh, I think Louisville is the team who could really surprise. And if things break exactly correctly for them, could win the division. But and while other people agree with me on this and I, I told him, I said, I don't want to bet the over on Louisville because I would rather just bet them minus two and a half minus three at Syracuse to open the season, because if they lose that, I'm not going to win my over anyway. So I'd, I'd rather just get my money back early on the Cardinal. Um, people are like, I don't know, man, Louisville could be, Louisville would be good, but I think Syracuse could be pretty good. So that, that fascinates me there. The other one, I was talking to a guy who knows Georgia Tech really well. And he said, I mean, but I, I'm not sure Georgia Tech is better than Duke. And that surprised me because I actually, in my power ratings, I had Duke, uh, I I will say, a a clear step down from Georgia Tech. And this guy said, I mean, look, Duke is better on both lines of scrimmage. I don't think they all played very hard for Cutcliffe last year. Things could go south for Georgia Tech. So FSU only plays GT. They don't actually play Duke. But that that could be interesting because I do have that chalked up. As a win, but maybe there's some chance that Georgia Tech is is just flat out bad. I do know the staff was very pissed about the guys who transferred out. They thought they were good players. They know it's very hard to get kids to Georgia Tech. It's even harder to keep them eligible, which is something they've dealt with. Obviously, other schools like Vandy, uh, they deal with that as well. Uh, not to the extent like a Stanford would, but Stanford doesn't allow hardly anybody in. So, anyway, I figured I would share that with y'all as far as teams that people like and don't like from the acc also want to mention congruity hr solutions congruity hr has been a longtime partner of ours matt lewis does a tremendous job if you need hr payroll whatever you need for your business congruity is there to make your business optimized make sure you give those guys a call congruity hr is the place to go matt lewis a proud knoll and a proud supporter of the Knollcast. cast so uh, last couple notes here on fsu opponents that i picked up just fun stuff i think miami's going to go a lot slower oregon was a pretty slow team under crystal ball i don't think that josh gaddis is going to get the green light to go real fast there um they talked about how they were more deliberate in attention to detail and practice which again to me having done this for quite a while is usually code for we're going to slow this thing this thing down a whole lot maybe not a had the defense out there quite as much, blah, 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 blah. That kind of, I feel like that's kind of scares me a little bit if I'm, if I'm a Miami fan, because do you really want to bog this thing down that much? Miami is going to try to run the ball a lot more this year. Will they actually be any good at it? Maybe. We'll see. They really didn't run it very well last year. We'll see if they run it better this year. It's possible. They have a very, very veteran offensive line, decently talented. We'll see how that goes. I also talked to Tyler Van Dyke and said, "Like, hey, who is stepping up for you at receiver? Because they lost, I think it was 200 targets from the receiver position. And that's a big deal. Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley are gone. He really didn't have great answers as far as definitive guys who would step up. And I, I don't think he was playing coy. He just said, we're going to figure this out in fall camp. So interesting there. Uh, other things, Louisville feels very excited about the nose guard that they took from Arizona State. Interestingly, this kid was going to go to Florida, I think, had he not gone to Louisville. So you'd have to play him regardless. But they, the Cardinal have needed a nose guard for quite a while, and they think they got one here in in uh, Jermaine lawyer So that's that's big. He was. He, it's not that he didn't play last year; he just didn't play much because he was injured for most of the season. I mean, we'll see how good he actually is coming off of injury. But that's a that's a personnel note. That you guys might find interesting. They also have new defensive coordinator there in Louisville. We'll see how that goes. I, I do have the Cardinal favored in that game over FSU, but not by like a touchdown. Just, just a field will. It should be a winnable game for the Knowles. And I'm not going to relitigate how I think that game went last year. I, I do think Louisville went in the tank. That's just my opinion. If you don't agree, that's fine. I I think they got out to that enormous lead and they basically just shut it down. Uh, other got other personnel stuff to talk about here, Clemson does feel better about its receivers. You've heard me talk about this a little bit, in that in prior years, Clemson has not had a great diversity of bodies. So we'll see how that goes this year. I do think they have a guy who can play the slot, a guy who can play the X, guy, a guy who can play the Y, et cetera. That could be good for them, possibly. But again, with Clemson, it's just, can you block them? And for the majority of teams in this league, the answer is going to be no. It doesn't really matter. Unless their quarterback just throws you the ball a whole bunch of times. Other teams on this schedule that are relevant. I think NC State will probably continue to throw the ball to their running backs quite a bit. But again, we'll see. Like last year, they they led the conference in, in passes to running backs by a huge margin. Both those guys are gone. I don't think that's a very efficient strategy. Passes to backs are generally a bad idea; they're they're like negative EPA plays if you look at it. But sometimes it can work. Um, I think if you're an FSU fan, you hope that they continue to have handcuffs on Devin Leary on first and second down, which which limits his explosive play potential. And then you he just bails them out on third down, which okay, it's hard to stop. But you kind of hope they continue to do what they've been doing on offense whatever Miami Whenever Georgia Tech we talked about Louisville talked about Clemson talked about NC State spoke a little bit about Wake Forest I hit Syracuse I think that's really pretty much it uh, if you guys have any additional questions hit me up again we will do a little patreon questions and a little recruiting chat on Thursday Uh, Probably Thursday, maybe Friday. One of the two days should be a good time. Thanks, everybody, for sticking through this little unplanned solo episode. But uh, we're glad to be back. And uh, we're very close to the start of fall camp and the the kickoff of the season. So I'm excited. See you all.